0: Good
1: morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for You, Anytime, Anywhere. And today is Thursday, June the 10th, and we gather around the inspired and true Word of God, and the Holy Spirit this Pentecost season helps us put on Christ goggles with 2 Kings chapter 7 a doubting captain, lepers, the Syrians flee, and we see the consequences of a lack of faith. Another portion we don't usually hear in Sunday school, Sunday morning, or other times, but we do see God at work, and of course, we see Jesus. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
0: Hey, great to be here.
1: Well, Pastor, tell us what's going on in North Dakota, Jamestown, and the Eckstein family.
0: Well, things are going well. It's been really hot lately. In fact, a, a few days ago, it was 100 <laughs> degrees, and I called my son, who lives in Augusta, Georgia, and he said, oh, you should come down here where it's cool. It's only 80 here. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we've had some hot, humid days.
1: <laughs> no doubt, and that's, um, it was interesting because here, it's the same thing. I mean, we're, we're just a few hours away from one another, and yesterday, we had a track meet. So, I was outside from about 9.30 until about 6.00. And I think the it never went below 91 until it started raining at about 530. So, yeah, that was a fun day. I got a good tan and I drink a lot of water and, and there it is. So I'm, I'm with you 100 percent. Um, Yeah. Any other thoughts on the heat? I and mean, we were complaining, but usually our listeners from St. Louis where it's always hot. Oh, not always, but a lot of times.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. I we're thankful though because we we were having severe drought conditions up here in North Dakota. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and we're we're still having some problems, but we the Lord was gracious. He he has given us some rains lately. So that's helped uh, some of our farmers who who were really uh worried there for a while cuz uh the, the some of our farmers their 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 crops were really hurting, but the the recent rains uh, have been a blessing in that regard.
1: And that's where, you know, today's text talks about the heavens opening and it's a good reminder for us to uh, um to pray to the Lord to bring that rain um and there's a lot of connections in scripture for that kind of prayer as well. Yeah, it is very dry up here as well. So here here's a question I have for you that relates um, to St. Louis um, and uh, names and connections because I, I'm a big baseball guy. Actually, I'm going to the Twins Yankees game tonight. Pretty excited about that. And thinking about names, and I remember my time in St. Louis, there was a shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals named David Eckstein. Any relation to uh, the old All Star shortstop for the Cardinals?
0: Yeah, I, I used to joke with people. I said, you know, they asked me to play, but then I referred them to my cousin, you know, and then they picked him instead. <laughs> no, um, actually, no, as far as I know, we're not related at all. So, except oh, for having the same uh, what do last do? name, but yeah.
1: No, oh, right. <laughs> such is life. I just... Yeah, I love I love baseball, and so it's a lot of fun to uh, think about that. Plus, if anybody ever played for the Cardinals, and I know many of you, our listeners, are St. Louis listeners, um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, the Cardinals. So I figured I would ask. So, um, anything else, Pastor, today you want to highlight?
0: Um, no, I, I, let's just go ahead and get. I mean, there's things I want to say, but let's just do, do that in the process of going through the text here. So
1: I love it. So, Pastor, will you begin our time in prayer, please?
0: Yes. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and uh, as we go through this reading today, we're going to learn about some, some horrible things uh, that were happening mm-hmm. to people because they were under your discipline. And sometimes we wonder why you let various tragedies take place. But, but we know from your own word that, that when you allow us, uh, to face difficulties, uh, whether it's because of our own sin or simply because we live in a cursed world. It's always to draw us closer to you in repentance and faith. And, and so help us to see your son uh, in this text, where it, it, in the midst of, of misery and in the midst of people who don't deserve uh, your love, you, you give um, compassion, not only physically, but spiritually. Uh, and help us to see this for our lives as well. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. If you have any questions for us this morning, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, as we look at 2 Kings chapter 7, or call us. That's something new. We started just over a week ago. Call us at 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, we come to 2 Kings chapter 7. As I mentioned, this is a, a text that um, I haven't read a whole lot. I remember reading it the first time and going, well, that's different. I haven't really read that before. Um, but it is is—it is kind of a unique one and points us, I would say, to faith. Um, but what leads, do you have any information that what leads us up to this point or maybe any major themes that we have for today?
0: Yes, well, a couple things. Um, you know, if you look at the very end of 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, it, it, that's uh, uh, an important thing to understand, because you have the king of Israel, Jehoram, who, uh, of course, at this point, uh, is, uh, Israel is under siege. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, as a result, the, the, the people are in the city. You know, the, the, the enemy troops are on the outside, and uh, that, this means the people in the city have no access uh, to food. And, uh, and this happened a lot in the ancient world where invading armies would just camp out outside the city walls and wait for the people to starve. And uh, you might wonder, well, why didn't the people just surrender? Because uh, back in those days, you know, uh, uh, let's uh, just be honest, uh, war was uh, ugly, and very often the invading enemy, if they did get into the city, w- would just do horrible, horrible things to the people. So it was really a choice between do we, do we wait it out and, and, and begin to starve to death, or do we open the gates and, and who knows what they're going to do to us, what horrible things. So it was uh, like a, a catch-22, a no-win situation. And um, in the midst of all this, at the end of Second Kings six, we, we we see that that uh, Elisha ends up being very very bitter at God. Even though Israel was suffering because of their own sin, they deserved it. Elisha becomes bitter at God because uh, while he's walking on the walls of the city, you, you might remember from the end of Second Kings six. Uh, there there 's women who who are begging him to help because one of them uh had to eat her friend 's child, and the her friend promised that they would eat her child the next day but but she hid the child uh and you know you, you almost hate to even read that it 's so horrible, but that 's the, the yeah. point of starvation mm-hmm. they were at, and after the king hears this he 's just so upset, but of course he can 't do anything to take vengeance on God, I mean, uh, we can't do anything to God, so he does the next best thing, he, he vows to kill God's prophet, Elisha. And that, that leads us into today's text. And then one last comment I want to make, just because it, it can get confusing for people, because we're going to find this when we get into 2 Kings uh, chapter 8, is that the, mm-hmm. the current king of Israel uh, in this text is Jehoram, and of course he succeeded a, a previous king of Israel named uh, Ahaziah. But uh, what gets confusing is that in the southern kingdom, Judah, you also have a king named Jehoram, and he will be followed by a king named Ahaziah. So it gets confusing at this point because <laughs> in the northern kingdom, you have an Ahaziah followed by a Jehoram, and in the southern kingdom, you have a Jehoram followed by an Ahaziah. But, but once you get all those names straight, it all starts to make sense. But, but right now, 2 Kings 7, uh, we have Jehoram, in Israel, who has vowed to kill Elisha uh, because of the horrible things that are going on for the Northern Kingdom?
1: That's very helpful and good. It's it's just good to admit that the names can be very very trying throughout this time. And then names start to look like each other. Not only is their sin starting to look like each other, but also their names. I You know, there was a connection made uh, this week, and I can't remember who our guest was, but it's just very much so that what is happening is, is uh, they're starting to look like each other. No longer is Judah a little more faithful, but they have just as many problems. Now, one thing that's interesting, too, when you talk about the famine, you know, the people were in the city, um, they, they're they really struggling, that there's a lot, and we're going to see this a lot today, too, is there's a lot of, this is how much it was sold for, even in verse 25 of chapter 6, it says that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver um, and and dove's dung for five shekels. I mean, it was so bad that they were paying money for this kind of stuff to eat and and like you mentioned the the mothers and the children and it just tells you how bad it is like we might think that during COVID it was bad at times we couldn't get toilet paper or something yeah. um which was which was scary i mean there's some scary moments during all that but it was nothing like this at all. all right so i think that captures where we're at as well that um we might doubt the lord too in the same scenario so any last thoughts before we dig in
0: um uh, just to reinforce your point, that as we read this as Americans, we, we we wonder, well, how could anyone get to the point, you know, where they would, you know, eat their children? But but you know, in America, we are so blessed. Even the poor among us are rich compared to people around the world, and 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 we need to realize that when when you actually reach reach the point of starvation, and and uh, starvation can be a very painful, horrible way to die. And, and so uh, you might think, oh, how, how could anyone ever do this? Well, uh, it's, humans are capable of doing some pretty ugly things uh, when they're desperate. And uh, this is just a reminder to us how frail we truly are and, and how much we ultimately need God. Because apart from mm-hmm. Him, you know, uh, we really uh, have no control over life.
1: And that's a good and that's good for us as we dig in today. Once again, we are in Second Kings chapter seven, but we're gonna do a little bit of a, a a backtrack. I'm gonna start in verse thirty-two of chapter six, um, because I think that gives us some good context as we get to the first two verses. Of chapter 7. So just bear with me. Reminder we're going, we're studying 2 Kings, starting with chapter 6, verse 32, and I will read all the way to verse 2 of chapter 7. And also, reminder, we are reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. Starting verse 32. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look when the messengers come when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him and While he was still speaking with him, the messenger came down to him and said, "This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord Yahweh any longer? But Elisha said, "Hear the word of the Lord." Thus says the Lord tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour should be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, the Lord himself should make windows in heaven. Could this Could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So... So we hear kind of a a a a, a, a look at Elisha, um, some faith, some lack of faith, a promise. Um, how would you break down these verses, Pastor?
0: Yeah, and it gets a little confusing because uh, uh, the, the, the 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 text here assumes some knowledge, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, basically what's going on here, uh, you know, King Jehoram. Uh, sends a messenger who 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 it appears to be one of the captains of his guard basically to threaten elisha uh, elisha knows this uh, he knows that that uh, Jehoram wants to kill him, which is why they say don 't don 't even let the messenger in and then uh, eventually though uh, it says in verse thirty three um, that uh, uh, while elisha was speaking, the messenger came down and said. Now, uh, scholars debate about this. Uh, Was it the actual messenger that spoke at this point, or was it King Jehoram himself, who we find out is with them when you read the first two verses of chapter 7? He's leaning on the captain. And I I go in the direction that here it's just assumed that, that the messenger is there, King Jehoram is leaning on him, and it's actually King Jehoram that says this trouble is from the Lord, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Meaning, Hmm. apparently Elisha had told him, yeah, things are bad, but the Lord is going to eventually bring relief. And at this point, Elisha is saying, "Uh, no, I'm tired of waiting. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, But Hmm. then we get the promise from Elisha, hey, uh, by uh, this time tomorrow, things are going to completely turn around. He doesn't tell them how that's going to happen, but he says uh, things will turn around for the better. And then the captain's response, and again, the captain is there and the king, Jehoram, is leaning on him. The captain says, well, uh, um, you know, to paraphrase him, you know, if heaven's opened, could it really fix the mess we're in right now? It's basically his way of saying, I don't think even God can, can repair the mess we're in. And then, uh, sadly, Elisha's response is, okay, because of your doubt, um, uh, when everybody is enjoying the Lord's provision tomorrow, um, you will not eat of it. <clears throat> and then, of course, we... Excuse me. And then we <clears throat> find out later on, as we will see at the end of the chapter, why he will not eat of it. Let me cough here a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, no,
1: no, yeah, I'll, I'll keep talking okay. for you. But Go, what, ahead. Go ahead. What, what, is in, what is interesting is that... Yeah, you you broke it down so well that that is a, a, a true point. I did see the same things when it talked about who actually said these words, but it makes sense that Jehoram said them. And and it, 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 we ended chapter six yesterday, and I wish we would have lasted longer. But how you said it is so great for us to think about is the, the this trouble is from the Lord, you know. And and sometimes people will say that. Um, almost like blaming God, but they don't really even believe in God. And so you got this lack of faith, blaming God at the same time. Um, Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And this is a common theme throughout scripture is wait for the Lord. um, As it tells us in Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It says it twice. So I find it a dichotomy that definitely something that we struggle with today. So I I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on this. Um, The trouble of, of trust in the Lord and then waiting on the Lord. Any thoughts as you look at this in, in the life of the Christian or the life in the church?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, it seems a big issue <clears throat> for skeptics and people today is if there is a God, uh, why does he allow evil and tragedy? And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's interesting when you read Scripture, sometimes God uh, directly brings the, 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 the tragedy. You think of the flood, Okay, mm-hmm. um, um, or, or sometimes God simply allows the tragedy. And to me, the distinction uh, is, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a difference without really any meaning, because wh- whether God actually causes the tragedy or simply allows it, it's still His will. Right. And so finally, we right. have to come to the fact uh, uh, that, that God uh, uh, is the one who is bringing this into our lives. And, um, and uh, I find it interesting that skeptics today, one of their arguments for trying to deny God's existence is, well, if there is a God, you know, why does he let all this happen? Why doesn't he intervene? And, and I always point out to them, I said, that's a bad argument to deny God's existence, because that argument doesn't make sense unless you assume God exists. Right, um, right. In, in other words, it's not an, uh, the, the whole problem of evil is not an argument against God's existence, it's an argument against his behavior. Um, why is he acting like this? And uh, as far as God's existence, there's other arguments about that. I, I pretty much think it's a slam dunk uh, arguments for God's existence. Uh, but when it comes to the problem of evil, it's really a question of why is God behaving this way? Why is God mm-hmm. allowing this to happen? And what we, we, we learn from Scripture is that uh, uh, on many occasions, God allows trial as a way of... of of, of getting us to repent of our sin. That was the case, certainly, for northern Israel. And then in other cases where, where people are already repentant, already believers, God, God will allow suffering and trial to actually help us grow in our faith and trust in the Lord all the more. Uh, that doesn't mean that all the suffering makes sense to us. That doesn't mean that we enjoy it by any means. But, but it does teach us that that even through the times of tragedy, God is working for our good. But here's the thing. Uh, it takes faith and trust in God to confess that, and sadly, here the king doesn't have that. Um, he, he 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 doesn't deny God's existence. He believes the Lord exists, but but at this point, he doesn't trust Him. He, he's angry at the Lord. He hates God's prophet, and and uh, he doesn't believe God's gonna gonna do anything to help. And 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 that's why uh, the message for today is you know uh, if we don't have faith in God's promises, especially faith in the God who is willing to put his own son on the cross for us. And I always try to remind myself of that. The same God Mm -hmm. who allows us to suffer for various reasons, he himself on, on a cross for us. So he's no stranger to suffering. You know, God didn't intervene when His Son was on the cross either. He allowed that to happen, and why? For our salvation. So even though we might not always understand the discipline of the Lord, we do know that behind it is a God who ultimately wants to save us, and that's what we need to believe. Unfortunately, right now, Elisha doesn't believe, uh, not Elisha. Unfortunately, right now, Jehoram uh, doesn't believe that
1: and it's it's really something to and i bring this up often it goes back to the imprecatory psalms um i'm thinking specifically of psalm 109 uh for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me speaking against me with lying tongues and i mean this one's a a complete very much so like why does the lord trouble me was the confession in these psalms is this it's it's not wonderful in the sense of of like wow that's just great but it's wonderful that god allows us to have those moments of i guess you would say doubt of 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 frustration of what are you doing i know what's in your hands and and like how you said it too i have to remind myself this then, when there is suffering, that I have to be pointed back, which is why KFUO is here, why um, yeah. Concordia Lutheran Church is there, um, to remind people that, yeah, this this is awful. But let's, let's put this in, in you know, that we have a God who's suffered as well. And without a suffering God, then what do you have? Like, what's your alternative to this? Is your alternative a world ideology? No, they're just going to blame somebody else and never take any. No, they're not going to suffer for you. No one else is. But our Lord is making these decisions for whatever reason. But he's showing that his grace and love is above all of it. So I really did find that those words were very good for us to remember in our world. And no matter what happens, has happened or will happen, because. Um, the trouble is there, but the Lord has uh, taken trouble upon Himself. So, and yeah. I want to go to waiting a little bit. But any of the last thoughts on that?
0: Well, yeah, and and the 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 real gospel handle here is why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Of course, yeah. when Jehoram says this, he, he's he's basically saying why? Well, I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't wait. There's no point. But actually, the answer to that is because the Lord is gracious and merciful. Uh, I, I think of the Book of Lamentations, you know, uh, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And and uh, we might not understand uh, why God is tarrying, but He does promise to, to rectify all things. Uh, there is a promise that God will make all things right through His Son. And uh, even though we might have to face suffering and ultimately death in this life, you know, what do we say at the end of the Creed every Sunday? I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the world to come. And so uh, through faith in God's promises, we do wait on the Lord and know that this cursed world uh, is, is not, does not have the last word.
1: One interesting question that we received via email this morning and I want I want you to kind of go after this one and 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 see cuz that's more of like what-do-you-think kind of question. But the question is, because Elisha is, he has a lot of prominent spots here in Second Kings. In some ways, he seems like he has more of a role than Elijah for a lot of uh, miracles and, and, and other situations. His question is this, from Paul, is does Elisha seem not to speak out against Israel's sin enough? He seems like he's a bystander that he speaks out against it in chapter 3 when they're about to fight the Moabites. Um, but otherwise, he doesn't seem to get too much. And he says, is he too cozy with the people to actually speak the law with him? What's your thoughts, Pastor?
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, who knows how many times Elisha did rebuke them? I think of the New Testament where, where mm. the Apostle John says, if, "If if we were to give you all the words that Jesus said, you know the the, the earth wouldn't be enough to contain all the books." And so right. um, we, we I, I wouldn't be, the very fact that we do know Elisha did rebuke Israel. Who knows how many times he actually did this, and, and it isn't mentioned here. Um, but also it could be part of it, too, is that, uh, you know, how many times does he have to tell them, you know, you've sinned and this is from the Lord. And then from that point on, he doesn't need to say anything anymore because the the tragedies itself are a reminder, you know, uh, we have this coming to us. It's kind of like at a funeral, you know, you, you don't have to pound on the law too much because it's sitting right in front of you in the casket, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a reminder, the wages of sin is death. And so I'm thinking all, all this horrible stuff that's happening to northern Israel is just a constant reminder to them of what Elisha initially said. You know, hey, you've sinned and God's going to discipline you. And now this ongoing discipline is just a constant reminder of that, which is why I think Jehoram is so upset at Elisha.
1: Mm, absolutely. And and I think it's a good question from Paul, <clears throat> because we do fall into this Uh, For example... Uh, when you're when you're at a school or something and you're wondering why is a principal not doing more or you're you're <laughs> you're at church and why is a pastor not addressing this um, more and we don't know the backside of that story. I think oh, I think right. specifically uh, of second Kings chapter five where Naaman's like, I believe but I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna go to the house of Rimon to worship there. And that's a time where you think there's gonna be an Elijah moment where he's like, you know, make a choice God Yahweh or your Baal prophets, you know or uh, bail you know you think there's gonna be that moment and he we don't know the whole context we know the whole story and and this is where waiting doesn't just apply to us waiting on the lord sometimes we have to be more patient because all he said elisha was going peace and you're like wait a second here he should be tearing down the altars and throwing away Rimon and get rid of all this and so we don't know the whole story which is why i think it's a good call to prayer um, to pray for our leaders and pray for others, because it's just too easy and quick to judge. Pastor, we have about 30 seconds, and I want to um, get to the next verse 1, but I want to make sure if there's anything else you want to highlight, because that verse 1, I really want to hit something hard. So any any uh, last thoughts before we go to our break?
0: Well, uh, Elisha, in, in, in uh, uh, verse 107, hear the word of the Lord, and and what we're about to hear is a word of hope. In the midst of, of suffering that we actually deserve, God uh, brings a word of, of, of mercy and hope. And so we can look forward to that after the break.
1: Wonderful. And hope is what we need. We take our break. We are studying second Kings chapter seven with Pastor Tom Eckstein and we'll be right back. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A 100,000 monkeys typing on a 100,000 typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m.
0: on air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org.
1: Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. That's the Cray children singing Jesus Loves Me in Spanish at their home in the Dominican Republic where they serve as missionaries. This summer, children can explore how God uses missionaries around the world to tell people about the love of Jesus. Learn more about Missions Unpacked for Kids at international.lcms.org under the Events tab. That's international.lcms.org. And welcome back. We are studying second Kings chapter seven with Pastor Tom Eckstein. And ironically, we haven't really gotten to chapter seven quite yet. So let's let's keep going. And I think this is important for us to be able to break this down is verse one. Is after he says this troubles this troubles from the Lord, and these are words we hear for today. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And this reminds me of when we stand up and we'll do the gospel reading, or we'll have the scripture readings on Sunday morning. Um, that we don't say this is kind of like the word of God, or this is maybe the word of the Lord. Um, we say this is the word of the Lord, and that's what Elisha does. He says, "Okay, yeah. all right, here it is. Hear the word of the Lord." basically tomorrow there will be food tomorrow you'll be provided for and he says well i don't think even god could fix this and then that's kind of that nice silent moment you can imagine like crickets in the background like well um god's gonna do it and you are not gonna be able to see it so thoughts on the the word and the reaction of the captain um in this in these verses
0: yeah well you know as sinners, we're, we're all tempted to doubt, and that's what this captain does. Um, but, 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 sadly, uh, apparently, and only God knows the heart. But apparently, there's no repentance here. Um, you know, we all catch ourselves doubting, and then, of course, we say, "Well, wait, I shouldn't be thinking that way." God forgive me. But, but, uh, apparently, there there was just total doubt in this captain's heart. And, uh, and in this case, God chooses to discipline him. You know, now sometimes God is merciful, and he doesn't give us the consequences we deserve, but this time um, he makes an example of this man, and, and sadly, the result of his, his hard-hearted doubt is that he's not going to benefit uh, from the blessing the Lord is about to give them.
1: And so it's it's simple. We're going to find out more of the, the rest of this story at the end of our chapter. And I think I'm ready to get to the Syrians because that's a simple thing. He's saying God's going to provide. God is the one who keeps his promises, which is a theme we've seen throughout First and Second Kings. Sometimes it was kind of, I'm not sure if he is, but he does keep his promises. And then there's kind of like a little bit of a step back to the, the lepers and the Syrians um, as we get to these verses. So I just want one last time, Pastor, any last thoughts on those first verses yeah. in chapter 7?
0: One last thing. It's important to remember that, that this promise is based on a direct revelation from God to his prophet. And, and we have to be careful that we don't, make, uh, we don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, God has promised to provide for us, so nothing bad will ever happen to me in this life. And uh, uh, I've found that people fall into that trap of like, well, God has promised to provide, so it's going to work out the way... I think it's going to work out, in other words, uh, for the good. And and we forget that, you know, Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done in the Lord's Prayer. And even though God does take care of us, nowhere in the Bible does it say say he's ever going to prevent suffering. In fact, Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. So sometimes God does give us a reprieve in this life, but at his time, and in his way but we have to re- what we have to remember as christians is that that we finally have to wait for the ultimate reprieve of god and that's the the resurrection and the life of the world to come. Uh, it might be God's will for us to face suffering in this life, but the ultimate salvation we're waiting for is the second coming of Jesus. So, so we have to remember that, that God doesn't promise us our best life now. He, he may give us a reprieve. He certainly does here for them. But, but uh, our ultimate reprieve is when, when Christ returns and set things right.
1: And it does seem like it's a better deal to get flour and barley as opposed to a donkey's head in chapter 6. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's continue on. We're, we now go to a, a very unique story. It seems like in some ways at first you're like, what is going on? But it does end in a way that makes sense. So verses 3 through 8 as we continue on in Second Kings chapter 7. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they rose in twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. For they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians. Behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made this army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired, has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of Egypt, kings of Egypt, and to come against us. So they fled away in twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, They went into the tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Pastor, there's a lot of contextual things here to break down. How can you help us out to put this all together?
0: Well well first of all here here we we have these lepers who are just in in a no win situation um they're near the gate of the city but on they're on the outside and of course uh, uh ideally uh, there would be protection on the inside except that they're starving to death in there and uh and of course on the outside they're they're vulnerable uh uh to attack from uh, the the, uh, uh, evading army, but they're thinking, hey, you know, let's just go to the enemy camp and see if there's this long shot that they might be merciful to us. And if they decide to kill us, well, we're going to die anyway and and they'll make it quick. (laughs) So they're they're just uh, trying to, they're just making the best of a bad situation uh, at this point. um, But then we we see this miracle. Uh, God... um, uh, you know, uh, makes the, the, the Syrians believe that enemy soldiers are coming their way. Now, of course, they're not, but God makes them think that way. So they leave, and they leave in such haste that they leave all their possessions behind. They don't even take time to, to pack up because they want to get out of there because they think they're going to be attacked. And um, so they leave all their provisions behind, and now the lepers get here. And, and they realize there's no one there, but there's all this food, there's all these provisions, and so they just start indulging themselves and in having a party, and they actually start hiding stuff. And uh, now, in a bit, we're going to find out that they eventually have a little uh, a p- prick of conscience and realize, hey, you know, we're we're, we're we're kind of hogging all this for ourselves. But but initially, it's like uh, this is the last thing they expected. At the very, very least, they were thinking maybe there's a smidgen of hope that they might give us a crust of bread and some water and tell us to get out of here. More than likely, they'll kill us. But now they get here, and there's no enemy soldiers whatsoever but all this stuff. It's like, you know, uh, this turned out way better than they could possibly imagine.
1: And like how you said that, that, that God provided. So you have the... Um, the, the first few verses talks about, this is what the Lord will do. And then you have like an impossible situation. Like you said, well, you know, where we're from is not going to feed us because they have no food. The Syrians over there, we can see the camp and they are our enemies. Um, and they're starving us out, but you know what? We could die quickly. Um, and then everything comes together with this big feast and all the stuff that they're able to gather. Um, it's it's kind of a kind of a unique story. So uh, there's more to come, obviously. But any other things that will help us out in those verses?
0: Well, I just thought initially it's like, boy, we hit the lottery <laughs> here. You know, it would be like if I drove up to Winnipeg and found out all the Canadians were gone, but they left all their stuff behind. Like uh, initially (laughs) in my my sinful nature, boy, uh, (laughs) all this stuff could be mine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know,
0: that's what they're thinking at this point. Hey, there's four of us and all this stuff. Boy, we've hit the jackpot. You know, we went from getting ready to die and and to we're we're wealthy beyond belief. You know, but as you will see, as we will see and when you read on, uh, their, their hearts change a bit in this regard.
1: Well, let's continue on in, in that light, because it does, it does bring everything back together as we get towards the end of the chapter. Verses 9 through 15. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied as tents were there, as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into, the, get into the city. And one of his servants said, Let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen. The king sent them over to the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them as far as the Jordan. And behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. So there seems to be kind of conflicting stories and interpretations that are happening. Um, so, so what happened in these verses?
0: Well, you know, uh, the the lepers have uh, a convicted conscience. They realize, you know, this is really selfish of us. We can't keep this good news to ourselves. And I can't help but think, you know, boy, that that, that relates to us. It's like, boy, we have the gospel, we have the good news, but Mm. do we dare keep it to ourselves? You know, that, that's why Man. we, as Christians, we're called to, to, to share this outside the four walls of our church when God gives us the opportunity to, to like we sing in one of the songs of the liturgy. tell everyone what he has done. And uh, mm. so that's what these lepers do. They go and they share the good news with the city. And uh, initially, they think this is too good to be true. I mean, there's no way this could have happened. In fact, initially, the king thinks this is a trap. You know, uh, I, I think that of that one creature from Star Wars. It's a trap. <laughs> and, uh, that's and uh, true. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and I, I don't blame them. It's like, you know, wait a minute. You're, you're telling me the army left and they left everything behind, including food. And, and, and they said, no, no, no. They just want to draw us out. They know we're starving. And then once we're out of the city, they'll, they'll attack us. Well, eventually they they just decide, well, wait a minute, you know, what What could it hurt if we just send a few guys out there to check this out? I mean, if if it, if it is a trap, they're going to die anyway if they stay here in the city. But, but if it turns out that what these lepers are saying are true, whoa, you know, what an opportunity. So that's where we're left here now. The, these messengers come back and say, hey, guess what? This isn't too good to be true. It really is an opportunity for us.
1: Well and it's interesting because they find uh all these garments and equipment uh thrown away in their haste, showing that they left very quickly um that they left uh, in a way that shows that they're not they're not hiding out in the mountains they're not hiding out in a different area, waiting for us to come around the corner. They left and they left in a hurry so it's it's interesting to 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 look at that breaking down that event and also just makes me. Um, and that's why I enjoy going through this slowly, because you're like, oh, so when Elisha says that uh fine flour will only be a, a sea uh, for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel. Um, this is how the Lord will provide. Because we're thinking of the long process, and you and you brought it up well too. It was happening in North Dakota. There's a drought here, I would say, in Minnesota as well. That at the end of the day, this is gonna be a problem. Like we cannot wait for the uh, barley to grow, but here's a way that the Lord has provided. So just kind of an interesting unveiling and peeling back. So other thoughts on these verses?
0: Um, you know, I can't help but think, too, of, of you know, uh, God works a miracle in a way here. But I, I think of how it points ahead to, you know, when, when when Jesus told his apostles, you feed these people, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, right. it's like, yep. no way. And, of course, Jesus there really does perform even in greater miracle you know he multiplies a few bits of fish and bread to, to feed thousands and so god can do things that are beyond our comprehension and i think this is important as we contemplate our destiny as christians because you know uh, even though god gives us many blessings and reprieves this side of heaven the fact is we all are going to face the same tragedy called death uh we're all going to be put six feet under and yet what do we believe as christians um, the same God who who made the Syrians run away, the same God who uh, multiplied fish and bread to feed thousands, the same God will call our bodies from the dust of the ground, resurrect us, and give us eternal life. You know nothing's impossible with God
1: and this points to elisha he's always seems to be present. With uh, the miracles that happened. So I think specifically of Elisha and the widow's oil. The oil just kind of kept flowing. And I like how you said that too with... um, uh, that the, the 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 bread and fish that the Lord feeds the 5,000 people. It just kind of keeps flowing. But this one's different because it isn't like yes. um, they're starving and then all of a sudden sand became water. And there's other parts right. where they have water and they're able to put salt in it and it's good to go, or the, the flour and the oil that just keeps flowing um, in other parts. It's really kind of interesting, but just as miraculous as it yeah. would be with these other events and that's something we usually think of miracles as you know that he gets a fish out and there's a there's a coin in it but this one right. is simply he drives away the enemies And there, how the Lord provides is right there. Any thoughts on that? How we tend to look at miracles—it's just as much of a miracle. Any thoughts?
0: Well, it it is, and and we uh, need—you know—we can if we think of a miracle in the narrow sense of you know things that don't normally happen, like you know uh, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, the reason it was such an awesome sign is that people normally don't come back from the dead, which is why it was a great sign when Jesus did. Um, But then there are the what I call the everyday miracles—the fact that that that. God continues to provide for us in a fallen world, and he does that through means. He, he does that, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when he feeds us, he, he doesn't, um, you know, just magically transform, you know, rocks in, into food for us to eat. He uses farmers to tend the soil and plant the seeds and grow the crops, and then he sends rain and sunshine, which is not under our control, but he does it. And, and so, you know, a God normally does all these little miracles that that we just take for granted. But when you think about it, we, we have no control over the rain. We have no control over the uh, uh, sun. Uh, uh, God provides for all of this uh, apart from anything that we do. And and so, you know, whether it's through what we would call ordinary means or these miraculous things like the feeding of the 5,000, God's behind it all.
1: And there's a great book on this called God at Work um, by Gene Edward Veith, Uh, your Christian vocation in all of life. And one of the beauties of this book in particular, and Dr. Vith has done a lot of work on vocation in the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And he starts a book by basically saying something along the lines of, God did a miracle today. Um, I was able to have food on my table, and then He went down the list of who, who, who worked in order to have that food on my table. And God did a miracle today. I had surgery, and and God, God did that miracle through the doctor, so forth. It goes down the whole reality of this vocational understanding of how God works. I love how you said that with the farmers. Um, God's still working miracles through these means, obviously pointing us to the sacraments as well. So that that is. So 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 that is a very clear reality in this story, because it wasn't just supernatural. I could never believe it. Um, But there definitely is God opened the way for them to run away in haste. And so they could actually trust that they were not trying to kill them and then provided the means by which this would happen. So that's just a reminder. God is always at work in our lives. Other thoughts before we move on?
0: Uh, Just that, uh, I mentioned this earlier, that that even though God might not always give us the relief we want when we want it, uh, we have his promise that, that we will ultimately finally be relieved uh, you know, th- through through the, the final destiny of things when Christ returns. Because uh, even though God does mercifully provide for us abundantly in this life, sometimes he does allow us to suffer. Uh, sometimes mm. joy doesn't come in the morning this side of heaven. Sometimes, you know, we're suffering and we die in the midst of suffering. But that's why, for the Christian... You know, we have to remember that this world is ultimately not our home. You know, I, I, I think of Christians in the early church. Many of them were persecuted and then finally thrown to the lions. You know, the Calvary didn't come over the hill for them at the last moment. But ultimately, the Calvary will come over the hill in terms of Christ's second coming. And so we that's why Paul can say, I consider the sufferings of this present world nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us.
1: And that's why we wait for the Lord longer. And he shows it why it is true now, because it looks like it's impossible with God. um, There's basically nothing that is impossible. So let's keep moving on and we'll get to the end of our chapter. And really, Pastor, I want us to think about uh, how does this relate for us today and and the grace of our Lord and how it it works in our lives still today. So verses 16 uh, through 20. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel. Ding, ding, ding. Then two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, so that he died as the man of God had said. When the king came down to him, for when the man of God had said to the king... Two seas of barley should be sold for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord Himself should make windows in heaven, should such a thing be? And he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So there's there's kind of a, a a joy that's in this story and grief, I would say, that's in this story. Um, describe, describe how this all comes together and any thoughts on that, joy and grief.
0: Well, joy in the sense that obviously God provides uh, uh, for their needs uh, in a way they never could have comprehended. Because like you said earlier, you know, uh, w- w- when Elijah said, hey, there's going to be barley, it's like they're probably thinking, well— we don't have time to plant barley and wait for it to grow. We're starving now. We need food now. So th- this is the last thing they would have expected, and yet God provides for their needs. Um, and so there's great joy. It's like, wow, uh, the, the the Lord came through, uh, just as Elisha said. But then, sadly, you, you have the case of the captain. And, and again, I, I I don't know what was going on in his heart when he saw this whole thing. Did he ask for repent? Did he ask for forgiveness? Uh, Did he go to God and say, "You know, I'm sorry for doubting you"? Uh, We don't know. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but in any case, uh, he's disciplined uh, with, uh, you know, death at this point. Now, does this? Excuse me. Does this mean that he died as an unbeliever? It doesn't say here one way or the other. uh, we hope that the Lord brought him to repentance. Um, but, but uh, in any case, the the bad news is that that at least as far as him enjoying these earthly gifts of God, um, he he has denied that uh, as a way of, of of warning people that there is a there is consequences to to doubt and sin, and and, and we see that I, I can't help but think of when Paul talks about this in First Corinthians eleven with the Lord's supper. Uh, when when people were mocking the, the supper of our Lord in Corinth, um, he actually said, you know, this is why some of you are are sick and even have died. You know, uh, it's God's way of waking you up so that you will repent and your soul will be saved on the day of judgment, you know. And, um, you know, uh, uh, for all we know, maybe God was, was actually using this to bring this captain to repentance. Um, and so... We have to remember that even in the midst of discipline, uh, God's goal is, is, is to bring us uh, uh, back to himself. Uh, I think of, you know, what it says in the book of Amos, and, and the book of Amos is just one long, depressing rebuke from God. Oh, yeah. But in the midst of Amos, there's this statement, you know, why will you die, O Israel, uh, return to me and live? Return to me and mm-hmm. live. And, and, and so even though we, because uh, when you think about it, did, did this captain die? Yeah. But guess what? We're all going to die. We're all going to, we all have been given the death sentence. It's just a matter of when and how. But, but when we return to the Lord in faith, uh, especially through the promise of his son, uh, we can face physical death in this life, which is the wages of sin, uh, knowing that uh, we will live in Jesus. Uh, we, we have God's promises that death itself has been defeated because sin has been defeated in Christ.
1: And that's why there's hope in this story, even for the captain, um, because here it doesn't say, and then he went away from the Lord in death or something along those lines. It just says that he died. There was consequences for his lack of faith, and and that's what God did to fulfill it, which, and I like how you said this, we're going to die too. So let's not make this sound like, well, if you're you're faithful and you always have faith, you will never die. Well, that's never a promise. That's not a promise at all. All Um, But here... It leaves us with the hope of a promise that the Lord does continually call us to live like an Amos, even though, like you said, you read the book of Amos. There's times you're like, I think I need to. Oh, boy, I'm going to have to have some joy. You know, (laughs) And joy better come in the morning because this is not going well. Um, And and but here there is there is hope in this. Now, I want to take one step back and then I want to get. Uh, to a, a pastoral question is number one. I thought it was funny in verse 16 where it says the people went out, plundered the camp of the Syrians, so a sea of flour was sold for a shekel and two seas. Can you imagine the conversation they were having after they brought everything back and they're okay? I wonder how much we should sell this stuff for. What do you think? <laughs> I did hear a promise, and the you know it's, it's kind of funny. Like one guy says, "Oh, I think it should go for two shekels." No, 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 no. You know, it could go back and forth. Well, then it be kind of funny. But we don't have that in the text. But pastor, we have a situation here where, um, where we are told to wait for the Lord, and and I want to go back to that just with this question of of. We see God providing for his people. And what would your encouragement be for those people, uh, for all of us? What's well, all of us when you say, you know what, we're going to have to wait for the Lord because when Lord, know the Lord will provide. Why? How does that play out in pastoral ministry, in, in the day of life of the Christian? And why is that so important?
0: Right. Well, first of all, too, uh, when we say we need to wait for the Lord, that doesn't mean we can sit in our duffs and twiddle our thumbs, you know, sometimes (laughs) God is going to provide specifically through our actions. Like you said earlier, through our vocations. So sometimes the Lord provides precisely through, you know, uh, Uh, our work and uh, us supporting one another um, and, and uh, getting involved uh, and doing something about the the challenges that we face. But then uh, sometimes we're in situations where it's just beyond our ability to make a difference. Uh, uh, The the tragedies are so horrible, you know, uh, it's like, uh, you know, what can we possibly do? And that's where we we finally have to trust in God's eternal promises that, that, you know, uh, eventually we all have to face some type of suffering in this life uh, eventually we all have to face death and and yet we we have Christ who is the resurrection and the life and his promise that whoever believes in him will live even though he dies and and so uh, you know uh, i think it's important for us as christians to remember our destiny uh, yes we have a vocation in this world we, we there are things God wants us to do but we have to remember that 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 uh, you know at, as we say at the end of the Creed every Sunday I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come so we are waiting on the Lord we're looking forward to that eternal new creation where things will be set right for all eternity
1: as we look to the past we see how the Lord has provided and that's such a joy. And in 30 seconds here, Pastor, uh, uh, what, how would you summarize this chapter and how the Christian can wait in joy?
0: I, I think simply, uh, the way I would summarize this is that, uh, you know, again, what Paul said, you know, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the joy that will be revealed in us. You know, uh, as believers, not only does God still provide for us Um, in this life abundantly. But even when he doesn't, even when he allows us to suffer, uh, we know that God has not forsaken us uh, because his son was willing to be damned in our place. And and therefore, in the midst of suffering, we know that we have forgiveness and that just as, as God's son died and rose again, in him we can face death knowing that we will rise again to live forever with the God who loves us.
1: Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, helping us put on our Christ goggles continuously. Pastor Eckstein so great at this in 2 Kings chapter 7. Pastor Eckstein, thank you again for being our guest.
0: Yeah, my privilege. Have a good day.
1: Saints of our Lord, the Lord calls us to wait. I don't like to wait. Do you like to wait? But we do wait because our Lord keeps his promises. And as we wait, we know that there's something worth waiting for. Eternal life with our Lord Jesus. The Syrians, not the Syrians, the the lepers and the people in the city and everybody waited for the Lord. And he provided in a way they never expected. And we wait. And in an unexpected way, he provides through Jesus. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.